You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Peer Pleasure Podcast is an open and honest safe space where two people come together and converse freely to explore experiences, stories and ideas some listeners might find offensive. The following episode of the podcast contains subject matter relating to childhood trauma, marital abuse, depression, addiction, suicidal ideation, sexual abuse and all topics pertaining to the struggles with mental health. We ask that if any of these topics present an issue for you, that you skip this episode and move on to another one. Please do not listen to this episode with young children present. The views discussed on this show are that of the host and his guests. They do not reflect the views of Equal Vision Records or Sound Talent Media or our sponsors. Thank you and enjoy the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Equal Vision Records and Sound Talent Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This one has been a long time coming, guys. Christopher McClelland from Nominee, back for a part two. I did one with him a couple years ago when we first met. This guy is an absolute musical genius. I love his band. Uh, they are on Smart Punk Records now. Their new album, Low Life, is out now. This album uh, holds a special place in my heart, in my life, and there's for good reason, uh, which we dig into on the episode on why. Um, But just to sum it up, uh, this is the record I listened to the day uh, that I thought my father was going to live, and in the same day found out he was not going to live. Um, There was two, two and a half hour drives involved, home and back in the same day. Uh, and so I listened to that record the entire day. 
both trips, uh, it kept me going. And so that record is imprinted on my life forever. Uh, it's something I can never repay to them either getting me through that situation. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you out there have lost someone or, or been the one that is coming last to be there at someone's side when they pass away. Um, and getting that weight put on you is fucked. It's, it's truly a fucked up thing. Uh, you know, do I stop every couple miles and let them live longer? Do I race there past the speed limit to get there quicker and end it? Um, it's a dilemma that I never thought I would ever be put into. And it's something I carry with me to this day and I will always carry it with me. But, uh, nominee and Chris were there for me in that moment. Um, and so this record, I really, I'm, as biased as it sounds because of how special it is to me, you guys need to check out this record. It's incredible. The songwriting's amazing. Um, the songs will get stuck in your head. You'll find something from it. Chris talks a lot about mental illness. <clears throat> excuse me, he talks a lot about uh, his struggles with self-harm and things like that. So if you noticed at the beginning of this episode, uh, there was a disclaimer, and that's my friend Beverly. I had to record this, um, and you're going to be on these episodes where things get really heavy because I don't want to trigger anybody, uh, but this one goes pretty far. Um, there's a lot of talk of uh, suicidal ideation, um, just just a lot. So uh, it's an emotionally heavy episode. Uh, if you guys have kids in the car, like we said earlier, uh, don't do it. Um, but definitely check this episode out uh, if you feel you can make it through that without being triggered. I don't want anyone to have a bad day because of this. Um, but this episode needed to happen. is very special. And I love Chris. Um, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Um, yeah, like, like I say, guys, it, these episodes can go anywhere. I thought this was actually going to go a different direction. Than it did. Uh, I found out some things on this one that I did not know. Uh, and in the moment, live time, those things hit pretty damn hard. So uh, just be warned. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I'm going to leave the business stuff off of this one just because uh, I don't feel it fitting to put it in here. So uh, without further ado, guys, let's get into my chat with my good friend, Christopher McClelland from Nominee.
Dewey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, weird. I don't know. AirPods aren't working. Coming off. What's up, man? All right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How about, how about you? Oh, man. I'm, I've been okay, man. I've been okay. Yeah. yeah. Just been uh, hanging loose, man. Working, building America. Doing cool. all that jazz. Yeah. yeah, you do that. <laughs> how about yourself, dude? Same. Same man working. I, I, I've never like been able to work without touring. Yeah, I've never done it before, and it's like it's just a completely different world for me. Are you loving it? Yeah, you know it's cool. It's cool. It's boring. Yeah, it's boring. But it's uh, I mean the 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 array of other positives that come along with it though, or like health insurance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, health insurance, big deal for me, type one diabetic. So it's uh kind of a deal breaker at this point for me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because I've been an unhealthy diabetic before and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Uh, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, but yeah, there's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of, really good that came along with you know working a full-time job again for the first time in forever man in forever since i can remember so type one type one diabetic you can i just uh an ex-girlfriend of mine passed away a few years ago uh from she had brittle diabetes okay and that was from you're not familiar Mm-mm. okay apparently it, <clears throat> she got it in her 20s died in her 30s it's from like wow. not managing your diabetes so basically i think she got gestational diabetes when she had her kid okay. yeah. but never it went away but she was okay. also a pretty big drug user as well so that didn't help and then it just got worse really? and worse and just just went downhill like fast Damn. um but they said, yeah, basically it means you're going to die in your 30s instead of your 50s or whatever, 60s, whatever. Her, her uh, type. She had not type one. I think it was type two or something like that. But, okay. Um, okay. I, don't, I don't know that much about it, honestly. I'd never heard of it before, but she called it. She yeah, said it was called brittle diabetes. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot that I don't know about. To be honest. I'm kind of a. I'm kind of a, a shitty diabetic. I'm not a well-educated diabetic. I'm not as educated as I should be, but that is kind of what I'm talking about. I never had health insurance, so I never got mm-hmm. to like dive into that. I never got to see an endocrinologist. I just like went to a primary care doctor at a clinic and got prescribed insulin and did it on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I just figured it out on my own, but like, <clears throat> obviously that's it's it, you can't really sustain so uh now that i have the job and the insurance i can see an endocrinologist i've got like a, a thing that reads my blood sugar on the back of my arm and i just have my phone against it so i don't have to like prick my finger anymore what yeah dude you're a cyborg a <laughs> i'm a cyborg yeah i'm more machine than man now that's incredible dude it's just <laughs> yeah. like an implant yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a, like a sensor that has like a tiny little needle, and you stick it into like the fat in the back of your arm, and that little needle just gives me tells me what my blood sugar is all the time. Wow, 
rocks. Yeah. And it's cheaper than pricking my finger with insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah. wild, man. Yeah. I'm sorry you have to go through all that anyway, but at least it's getting oh, more streamlined, no, you know? No, I, it's, it's great. It's great. It's like in comparison to what I was doing, this is <laughs> different world. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, uh, how's your how's your mental health right being off the road for now it's uh it's i am a from the last time that we spoke from the last episode until now completely different man really i am so it it took a while yeah obviously um but i've been medicated and like completely free of self-harm for over two years two years this past january two years on january 7th dude so i'm like yeah it never it was never even a thought in my mind that i would have that um and that i gotta give it up to the pandemic though really it gave me yeah dude it gave me a break because prior to the pandemic we were grinding so hard man and we were just like I had to work three jobs while I was home to afford everything to afford mainly being diabetic, which mm-hmm. is a fucking shit show in itself. But, um, I, you know, I, I had to work so hard, three jobs all the time, you know, bare minimum. And I, I don't have to do that now. And I, but when the pandemic happened, it just all stopped. And I got to take a break for the first time since I was 18 years old. Mm. You know, I just like, and it wasn't even like I, I could do other things. There was nothing to do. So I just got to start over and to, and to really focus on my mental health. And like, I, I, I had gotten really, really bad. It was like the worst period of my life right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my mental health went, I like in January of 2020, I checked myself into like a respite center to, you know, just be safe. And I started medication and I left and then I like went back to work and I was like, still like a nervous wreck, still like full of anxiety and like the pandemic happened and I didn't have to go to work and I didn't have to go to band practice and I didn't have to go to work after band practice and then get up at 6am and go to my other job again. And it just gave me room to breathe. And I'm so grateful, man. Dude. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm really happy to hear that because last yeah. time we spoke on the podcast, you were in a pretty bad spot <clears throat> and, yeah. uh, or still going through a lot of that stuff and, and had come through a bad spot. Um, when you checked yourself into a respite, center, respite center, is that like a, um, a 5150, like three day hold, or is that mm-hmm. like a, like check in and I'll check out when I'm ready to kind of thing? What, what is that? Uh, it was three days, three days. minimum. You had to stay for three days. If you left before three days, you couldn't come back. Okay. Um, I think I stayed in for like five or six. Um, more than anything, I didn't have insurance at the time. So I just really more than anything needed to see a doctor and needed to 
get on medication and start taking like the actual steps that I needed to take to, to fix the problem, not to just like, I kept telling myself I could do it like without medication mm-hmm. and it's just not possible. It's just not possible, at least not to like start there, like maybe eventually, but I, I needed the medication. Like my wife was just so supportive and she just, she just wanted me to get the help that I needed. And the, the quickest way to do that uh, was to stay there mm-hmm. for a few more days, wait until the weekend passed. And then first thing the, the next week met with doctors and got some medication figured out and then like stayed there while the medication took effect. And it's it, like, I don't think it would have been as productive and as as efficient as it was if it weren't for the pandemic because mm. like i still would have like man i was i was throwing up in the parking lot every day going to work i was like i could not be around people i like shows were a fucking nightmare like just felt like i wanted to throw up all the time shaking and like you know I've been at shows and like 45 minutes before we're supposed to play, I lose, like I have a full on panic attack and I lose, like I, it feels like sensory deprivation to me. Cause I can like feel everything more than I can see it. If, mm-hmm. if that makes more, more sense. Yeah. Um, but and like, I would get that way, like 20 minutes before a set, 30 minutes before a set and just like, not have a clue what to fucking do with it. Um, but that's another thing I've been in therapy and, and, and when I, when I first started doing therapy, I was in three times a week mm-hmm. and I was like really going for it. And again, the pandemic made that possible. If, if we were still grinding or if I was still working three jobs, I never would have had time to make three appointments a week you know, mm-hmm. and I did. And now I'm seeing my therapist like once a month. Wow. Dude. And it's, it's just like ah, such progress, man. It's been yeah. great. Dude. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. You, so you were throwing up from anxiety. It was anxiety that was doing that to you. Yeah. <clears throat> On top yeah. of everything else. That's fucking terrible. What happened when the set started then? Did it go away? Or did you have to fight uh, through it? I mean, it was more or less just like I, starting the set was so hard. Mm-hmm. Starting the set was so hard. Getting myself to a state where I could like stand on stage and look past the stage was, and it wasn't like with that, it wasn't like a social anxiety. It was just like, I can't even describe it. I really can't, but I had to just start the set and we would get there. But like, there were, there were multiple shows where I was like telling the dude straight up, like, I don't, I don't think I can do it tonight. Like, I just don't. And they were always really supportive, but I, we never, we never didn't play. Yeah. We always played. Yeah. 
And then you're singing about these issues too. Like every song is like bringing up these things, which I could see it being cathartic, but also be triggering as well. If you're in the, if you're in the, in the anxiety that, yeah, Jesus Christ, dude. That's rough. Yeah. I feel better. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you feel better. I really am. I, I'm always worried about you and I, I, you know, I try to reach out whenever I can because just to check on you and see how you're doing because, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm struggling with the same stuff now to where I, I had therapy this, this afternoon, like Thursdays I go to work and then I do therapy right after work. And then I usually schedule podcasts. I'm at the studio. I do therapy in the studio. Uh, cause I have oh, okay. good camera and uh good internet so I can do it over zoom with my therapist. Um, yeah. and she's been great. Um, but I sometimes we get into like some deep shit and then yeah. I hang up and then click in here. And then you gotta do hey, the how you doing? Hey. <laughs> it's oh, weird, man. man. So I've we kind of enjoyed get, it. We can get in here pretty deep this Thursday, then, my dude. Dude, yeah, this is fucking. This, so I had one right after therapy, and then you were after that. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. it was good. We pushed a little bit because I was like, "Shit, I haven't eaten since lunch. Like I'm starving." So I ran oh, and grabbed good. something to eat. It was perfect timing. Um, good. But uh, we've been. I've been therapy for the last eight months because we don't know. Like, I BetterHelp.com sponsored the show, so they gave yep. me free therapy through them. I had one visit and they Mm -hmm. told me (laughs) I had one visit and she told me, Hey, uh, I don't want to waste your time. Um, I appreciate all the, the stuff you've told me, but I think you need to see someone that can prescribe you something at some point. And we cannot do that. And I don't want to establish, um, I don't want to establish something that then I can't help you if it turns out you do need medication. Yeah. And I was like, so you're dumping me after one, one visit. (laughs) Uh, and there's nothing against them. She yeah. was great. Absolutely great. Mm-hmm. She would text me. She listened to the podcast. Uh, cause she's like, I want to know what you do. Like, and I told her and <clears throat> she listened to one episode and she's like, all right, I can see a lot of these things that you're talking about. Uh, she also had a good comment. She said, people go to school for a long time to do what you're doing. And I was like, wow, that was really nice to hear. Um, yeah, but she, she's, uh, yeah, you need you might need medication down the road, and I don't want to I don't want to hinder you from that. So I would recommend using your insurance mm-hmm. and go to a therapist that can prescribe. Um, so I'm on the wait list for psychiatry. Have been for okay. eight months. <clears throat> have not got an appointment yet. Uh, still trying every week. But they think they think I show signs of uh, <clears throat> bipolar. Um, what's the other one? Uh, like borderline personality disorder, okay, yeah, things like that. Um, that they're yeah. seeing symptoms of, but my ups and downs are way more frequent. Like I'm not then, down like, for three weeks. One. Exactly, yeah. I'm not down for three yeah. weeks on the couch and up for two days. I'm up for an hour, down for three hours. It's yeah. weird. And then I can turn it off though if I have to. So like, I could have been. In, in not talking to you like it's different because mm-hmm. you and i know each other but say someone i don't know i could be like laying on the floor in here in the studio just ready to like bash my head in the wall and then get on here and turn it off for an hour and then go right back wow. to it so they're saying these other these multiple things that don't match up to the bipolar spectrum are showing yeah. that maybe not 
but they said there may be some kind of medication that can help with the depression and all that stuff. Um, yeah. Because since, ironically, since you and I talked last on the podcast, I've become way worse. <laughs> Uh, but it's just because time and i've never had medication for i've never been diagnosed with anything nor do i want to be uh, but i would love to know what's going on so it's been a journey um but yeah eight months waiting on the list for psychiatry there must be one psychiatrist in portland i don't know um we it's are crazy. a joke and this country is an absolute joke yeah this is so it's so sad because like I have friends that would be alive that aren't mm-hmm. if it weren't for where we are as a country. And like, oh man, maybe we won't go down that road tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, one road I do want to go down that I wanted to go down this road with you because mm-hmm. you guys put out your record. It mm-hmm. finally came out. Mm-hmm. I've had it for years. Uh <laughs> Which is so funny to say because it took that long, uh, which is so fucked up. And and uh, but this and I told my therapist we were talking about this today because I was like, this is this is one of the heaviest fucking things ever. But what's uh, your therapist name? Whitney. Whitney. Yeah. Okay. Mine's Kirk, so I'm gonna refer to Kirk on a first name basis. Now. Per- Go ahead. Perfect. So Whitney, I told Whitney I was I was gonna talk to you about this because I I've told you this before and I texted you about it in real time as it was happening. But that record, in turn, became the one of the most important pieces of art in my life in one day. And it was the worst day of my life. Uh, and it was the day my dad died. So you sent me the record. And I was like, dude, this is perfect. I'm driving home from Seattle. I can listen to it and like really focus on it. And mm-hmm. I was so excited to hear it because I'd heard the demos and everything else. And it was great. And I wanted to hear the finished product. And so they said, you know, my dad, as everyone knows on the show, had heart surgery, didn't come out of it, but he was in a coma for 12 days and he was getting better this day. And I was going to go back to Portland, been there for 12 days uh, at the hospital by his side. You need to get home to my kids. You sent me the record. I was like, yes, something to listen to. Everything's good. Pops is fine. He's just got to recover. I'm going to go home. Listen to Low Life all the way back, two and a half hours, a couple times over all the way back to Portland and all the words and the, the, the feelings were uplifting. Like I was pulling uplifting messages from the record. I was pulling, uh, you know, I was listening to like rah, rah, right? Like, so, uh, I don't want to crave anything I can't take to a grave. Right. I was taking that as man, I need to do things differently because I was facing death with my dad and now it's getting better. Now it's time to make changes. So I have that in my heart and I'm like, I'm driving home. Mm-hmm. like, fuck, this is awesome. Like, this is great. And it's records. Fantastic. It's a masterpiece, regardless of this other stuff. Get home, take a shower, go to take a nap, phone rings. Uh, things have taken a turn. This was in a couple hours. This was all in the course of one day. Yeah. The, the day I you sent me that record well, last day and uh, we need you to come back. We're going to pull the plug like we, we but we're going to wait for you which I've talked to Whitney about this puts all his life in my hands because he's going to stay alive as long as it takes me to get up there. Do I leave now? Do I leave in an hour? Do I keep pulling over for the chance that maybe he'll come out of it? All these things running through my head. I listened to the record all the way back and that record is carrying me back to pull the plug on my dad. 
So all those songs and lyrics had a whole new meaning. But the relationship I then shared with that record, I, I, that record basically was my soundtrack to one of the hardest events of my life. And it was so intense. Okay, I literally, it didn't shut off. Like I just let it keep going. I was like, it's just going to keep going. Keep, it only stopped once when my mom called and said, where are you? How far out are you? That was the yeah. only call I got. Uh, and I think I was texting you as it was happening. Like, dude, I don't know what happened. We're going up. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And so that record imprinted on me in a way that no other record has because that day I had absorbed it two different ways. And sure. I couldn't think I've, I've thought about this a lot. I couldn't, and I'm sorry, I'm just rambling on for you here, but no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm enamored. I'm listening. I don't know of any other record that I'd already heard that it had meaning to me in my life that I would have put in its place. Wow. Because it was perfect. It was new. Uh, and I was establishing that relationship with it as it was carrying me there. Like that's the only thing that kept me from completely falling apart driving, which is completely unsafe to then no sleep racing sure. back up yeah. to, on the freeway. So it was the one thing that was grounding me to keep my mind straight while I was driving to do this. And uh, I, I still tear up some parts of that record. Like even yesterday listening to it, like I'll still like well up at parts where it really hit me, you know, um, yeah. just the worst, the worst day of my life, but not because of that. That part was the one thing that made it bearable to get through that, which would have been like, I don't even know how you describe it. Like you're on a journey, you know what the end is. And, yeah. you know, like, but then do you wait? Do you speed up? Do you try to get it over with? Yeah. That dilemma. And then yeah. trying to reconcile thinking of that. Like, okay, sure. it's weird. And so, <clears throat> um, thank you for making that uh, <laughs> it's it's incredible it's an incredible record and but it'll always be there with me like that which is such a special gift wow um and i know you didn't know that when you're making it and the circumstances no. put it that way but i think that bonds me to that that piece of music forever sure you know yeah um yeah, I, I i do i have records that are that are like that mm -hmm. um i think everybody everybody does but i mean i am just i'm so sorry that you had to have that day wow. that's awful man but i and I've, I've had so many mixed feelings about the record just because there's such a history to it and mm -hmm. to it you know it almost never existed and i i've i've like regretted it i've regretted everything about the record but like I wouldn't change a thing knowing how it affected you. I appreciate you know? that, man. Yeah, man, dude. I do. Tell me, tell me, well, what is that? What does that look like? Why, why walk me through that? Like why you feel that way about it? Like, and what led to that? About the record? Yeah. Like, like what, what, what puts that in your head like that? <clears throat> well, so I, it's like it's so much like we went in we had like 
probably 13 or 14 songs written Mm -hmm. at the time. And a lot of them were significantly heavier. And we went in and we just started like really digging into songs and it just, (laughs) we just kept getting like turned away from what we originally went there to do. Uh, so it, the record is we finished the songs and they, they come out and it's like it's a pop record you know there's some there's some you know some heavier parts and and some some more like some slower stuff but like when it all comes down to it it's a pop record and that wasn't really what we went to do and like I've written a pop record before. I've written a pop punk record before. I wanted to write something a little heavier, something that was like just different for, for what we had done. And we went in and kind of came out with a really similar thing to what we'd done before. Uh, so that's kind of where it started. But then like the mixing process was a nightmare for it. Like no one in the band really had a clear idea of what we wanted it to actually sound like sonically. So it like, between us and the dude who engineered it, it was just, or the dude who mixed it, it was just, it was a really tough process and a long one, pulling teeth to get mixes, like you know, dealing with shit from the label. It just kind of tainted what I had like looked forward to for a really long time. Nominee hadn't done a full length yet, and we had all these songs ready to go, and it just really wasn't what I signed up for, what any of us signed up for. But you know. All that being said, now I listen to it and I'm like, okay, these songs are, I, I love the songs. I, I think, I think the record turned out great. I'm fine with it. But, uh, it, it's like, there's a lot of really special songs on there that, you know, since they weren't singles, they're like, they didn't really get to see the light of day. So like a lot of my favorite songs on the record weren't, didn't get chosen for singles. Mm-hmm. So like, we won't really be playing those songs. And like, those are some of like the darker, heavier songs on the record that like it, it is cathartic to play those songs. You know what I mean? And I think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that the record's out and I'm really glad that we put the songs that we put on it. But I think we just really needed to scratch that itch to write something a little heavier. Okay. Um, which is, you know, the, the first part of it, but, you know, I like when the pandemic happened, I had a, like a funeral for like the scene for DIY touring. I like, it, it was like, I was mourning it. It like, I went through stages of grief thinking that like this record's never going to come out. Mm-hmm. We recorded it in July of 2019. And it came out in September of 2021. So it like, I just, I, I, we kind of got over the songs quickly because we'd been sitting on them for so long. It lost its luster. But like, again, like I said, now I, I, I go back and I listen and uh, I hadn't in a while, but I went through and, and, and listened to the tracks uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, super stoked with it, man. It is, it is, I, I, like I said, I love the songs, but it's, they've been there for two years and like, we're just now getting to start playing them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, I, I think, it, I think the pandemic is just kind of playing tricks with me more than anything. Well, it sounds like it's, you're getting personal growth 
from the pandemic is far exceeds what the band does. You being healthy sure. and safe is paramount. It's job one, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. so you, it's a tug of war. It seems like because you've been you've been personally growing into what you need to be for yourself, for your wife, for the band, for everyone it associated. But the output has been staggered. It seems like, or or, or stymied, I guess. Um, yeah. What, so when you said it was heavier. Uh, or you you had the songs were these mm-hmm. songs heavier or were these songs that came after the heavier stuff the, a lot we had like six of the songs written six of the songs from okay. this record we like like perforated is an older song i love that song. Uh, and that is kind of like the direction we wanted to go and not like not like heavier just like a like a little more like little more oomph to it just like some, something like not being so we just didn't want it to be so clean you know yeah uh but we like perforated was written um bad luck was written um and then there's an there's another heavier one on there that was not heavier but darker one on there that was written but the other ones did not make the record and a lot of like, like kitchen sink was written, but we wrote like singles. You know what I mean? We wrote kitchen sink coming up for air and, yeah. uh, and rah, rah as like singles, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there are a bunch of songs that didn't make the record that we're still, still playing with though. Mm-hmm. So we're stoked for those. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just didn't, just didn't come to be to be perfectly honest we we went in and and did the songs with uh this dude from jersey who was kind of like difficult to work with he was a very difficult person to work with and the songs just kind of changed to what his vision was mm-hmm. and like we were all part of it you know, we all, we all like agreed to everything that we were changing, but I just wish we wouldn't have changed so much. Yeah. I hear you on that dude. Like we did it, did it. Um, I'm trying to think how to work. Cause I've made several records myself and I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have a vision, you go in with that vision and you start, you start giving away little pieces of it. And then it kind of collapses a little bit and becomes yeah, something completely different. Exactly. And sometimes it's for the better when the producer really knows what they're doing and maybe mm-hmm. just finds lightning in a bottle. But for the most part, you just come out of it bummed. You're like, yeah. shit, man, I had this vision that we got signed because of what we were doing before. The yeah. vision works. Yeah. It's hard to hard to relinquish control and stuff like yeah. that. And especially with with a full band everyone's you know writing stuff like your drummer is one of the best drummers you guys could do anything with him like he's so good and uh live and on record but but you could do anything you want you could be any band you wanted that dude's Mm -hmm. got it man like it's crap i love that you have to listen to some of his other bands i'm gonna link you to some of his other bands he's in like he's in um like a grindcore band 
Oh shit. Called Mothman and dude. Like just 300 BPMs. Uh-huh. <laughs> shit is out of control, but he just keeps up so easily. It's like it's like he's not even trying. Yeah. Uh, he's he's unbelievable. And you know he plays plays guitar on some of the record too. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> he yeah. He writes like just as much as I do. Huh. <laughs> interesting yeah yeah that's amazing i i just i i feel i love the record so much but also i'm really intrigued to hear where it was going before because um, sure i know what you're talking about like with perforated like it's an intense song it's an intense song because of the lyrical content which you and i discussed last time uh which is just heartbreaking but the the um the not just the message but the the delivery is is so much more ballsy on this version of of the track mm-hmm. and um so I, I i i kind of a feeling i know the direction you're talking about of, of where it was going i'd be interested to hear yeah. that but um yeah i do think what came out of it is is great um but so this producer was this producer picked by smart punk or were you guys uh it was it was us okay it was us and then when you got there it wasn't Uh, what you thought no no he he hadn't really done anything but he did a record do you know that band uh they're called something more they're from baltimore Uh no they're fan fucking fantastic this band um but they did a full length with him and we were like holy shit this thing sounds awesome (laughs) we were just like blown away by it Mm. and we're like we kind of kicked the can down the road. We didn't, you know, we talked about working with a lot of other people. We like, that was another process in itself, like who we wanted to do the record with, but we ended up going with this dude just because of the faith that we had in that something more record. It sounds amazing. That record also never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, those tracks are fantastic and they sound incredible. So, that was ultimately what swayed us to go with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did. It was a really, really intense writing process. Like everything that we wrote in the studio was like, we like really, really pushed to get there. Um, the, <clears throat> when, it was the the last time i attempted suicide was in the studio doing the record what um it was it was, okay uh, so i guess me i get i talk about this with my therapist i I have a, I had a really, really bad problem with ideation. Um, and we we're in the studio and I just voice wasn't cooperating. And I felt like shit cause I was on like shitty insulin and like, just like in a really bad place mentally. And we were just having a really hard time, uh, writing to a, a specific song. I forget, forget which one we were working on, but we were having, I was having a really, really difficult time with it. And 
everyone left to get food and I was left there by myself and I just like buckled and like just couldn't function. Like I was just like, it's awful to talk about now, but I was just like an awful to say, but I was just so ready to die. Like I was just like ready to move on to not to not feel how I felt in that moment to where, wherever that brought me, it wouldn't be as bad as I was in that moment. And I wrote a letter to my wife. Uh, we had gotten married that June, mm-hmm. you know, six weeks prior. Um, and I, I, I didn't, I don't, I won't get into like the details, but I, the band came back with everybody from, uh, from wherever they were eating food. And I had to play it off. Like nothing had happened. And it was like, maybe the worst night of my life. And the next night we wrote rah, rah. And I was just like, I, it went away. It went away. Like that, that feeling completely went away. I went to bed the next night crying tears of joy. Cause I was so happy with how the record was coming out. It's, it was a, it was a, a, a process that record. I didn't realize how much I was going to unpack when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. It hurts my um, heart uh, to hear I'm that. I'm here now, because, though. Uh, I, I know. I, I just hurts my heart to know you went to that level making making that. It, it, making that or not, it went to that level again. Um, <clears throat> so the band came back and, and basically walked in, and, and you had to play it off like nothing had happened. Yeah. So they got there just in time. Yeah. Which is a miracle. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. Because that would have ended up, fuck, that would have ended up <clears throat> just the chain of events. Like the record wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I would have been flying to, to a funeral uh, way before all the stuff happened with my dad to cause I would, I would have a hundred percent flown flown. If I would have gotten word from that, I would have been on a plane uh, to Austin to, uh, but in turn, you'll never have to, my dude, uh, dude, I will never have to it just, it's uh, <clears throat> you, but the the crazy thing is you and I both went through the worst day or night of our life because of that record. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, or, or excuse well, me, that record not was because a part of it. that record was a part of it. Yeah. The soundtrack, yeah. the, the stress, the joy, you know, think about, think about that. The worst night of your life, things aren't happening. Things aren't happening. I, I would rather be anywhere than here. I have those thoughts all the fucking time, but yeah. I have the thoughts that mine's more 
you say ideation, and I've heard that term used before. You like suicidal ideation, or I'm not super. I couldn't tell you what it means 100%. I know what I think it means, but I have those times where I'm on a bridge or driving and I'm having a really bad day. And I think to myself, what if I just don't push the brakes and just keep going yeah. into that wall? Yeah. It's curiosity. It's, it's not like planning it. It's just at this point, I what happens happens. That. Yeah. Is that yeah. what you're? Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, because I've never been that that person that has that stuff until recently, mm -hmm. where it's just like if I don't if I don't hit hit the brakes, it'll just keep going, and then you know, like it, irrational thoughts. Um, sure. But but having that having that art come from that is is the, there's like a connection there. Like it's, it's a strange connection. Um, but to be in that situation, I'm just imagining it, you know, so stressed out anywhere, but here kind of thing, even to tend to write a letter to your wife six weeks earlier, getting married, uh, you know, and, and Dude, at I, that point I can't, I blacked out half of my wedding. I don't remember so much of it because of where I was at. I was 20 pounds lighter you were I gaunt was. in those pictures yeah dude like you had you were emaciated yeah i remembered those pictures uh shit yeah it 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 was i i just i wasn't there i wasn't there and like my wife and i have talked about that a ton about like what i would do to like to just move it forward to right now so that I could have, have been there and enjoyed it. You know, I didn't enjoy it. I, you know, I loved every second, but I was an anxious, depressed shell, dude. I was just not there. I was not there and it fucking sucks. But, you know, um, I look back at the photos and everyone's so, so happy to be there. And like, we were all, everyone was going through their own thing at that point in time. Yeah. Like Steve's father had just passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, and a, a lot of other friends were really going through challenges in their personal lives and everybody kind of just put it aside to be there. And it, so because of that, it's always been a thing to me to think like, everybody else had their stuff going on too. They probably, you know, they probably don't remember half of it as well. And it's, it wasn't their wedding, but like, I don't know, everybody was able to get over their shit for that weekend mm -hmm. and for us. So I just like, I don't know. maybe I, I feel like I have like a little bit of guilt with it, with like, with not being there. You know, because I wasn't able to like put my stuff aside to be there. Yeah, for yourself. Yeah, that and for them, and that's and that's a completely valid point. You know, and a completely yeah. valid feeling. Uh, but you know, you can't you can't dwell on that either. You know, and that mm -hmm. and you were going through something extremely heavy, but also what you were doing is making one of the best decisions of your life because your wife is a saint. 
She's she a wonderful happen. human being. I was so glad I got to meet her when you guys came to Portland and go to dinner and, and get to know her a little bit and just yeah. see the woman that pulled you from obscurity and pull, pull and would, would, you know, go on the roller coaster with you and not turn her back on you and not give up on you. And, you know, to find someone like that is so rare and it's just such a blessing. And, and, but what you were doing, even though you have the guilt and all that stuff from it, you were marrying the person you were supposed to, and you were doing oh, yeah. what needed to be done. You just weren't present in the moment. And yeah, exactly. There's so many more moments exactly. than that. Yeah. Most yeah, people don't even enjoy great. their wedding when they're in the right space. It's so busy. Yeah. It's like a formality. Now you get yeah. all these moments now and you can make up for all those moments that day now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and dude, it's, it's so funny. We, we purposefully went the route of a very small wedding. We rented an Airbnb in Idaho, like on, on, a, on, a, on Lake Pandoreal in, in Idaho. Beautiful. Like we just found the house in Airbnb and we're like, yeah, we're just getting married here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's like a little like lakeside beach area. And we got married there and we did that so that we would like be able to keep those memories and to like yeah. to really be there and be present on the day and the figures you know <laughs> figures <laughs> like i just, just literally blacked out half my wedding and yeah. we, we were there for like a weekend and it's just like the whole thing just it like it feels like i have like like less than a day's worth of memories out of the whole thing yeah but the photos are amazing. The photos the are photos cool. Are great. Yeah, <laughs> the photos, the photos are, great. are great. And uh but yeah, now you have the rest of your life to to not make up for that, but just experience feelings and yeah. I mean, I'm just it struggling like you have your whole life with this stuff to now be in the spot where you feel good. It's crazy, I mean, man. Shit, man. Like and and anyone listening to this, I know I'm gonna get a ton of emails about this whole the thing we just discussed and I just if you're listening to this and you feel similar to what we're talking about listen to the positive part of it because the next day right like the next day the worst day of your life is the worst day of your life until the next day right like it's yeah. it's the yeah. worst day of your life there's tomorrow and the day after usually we don't know when we're going but it's not for us to decide either really i don't think <clears throat> No, I agree. So if you're feeling that way, wait till the morning. Wait to see what happens, see how you feel in the morning. Like I always find that even if it does come back, the sadness and stuff like that, by the next morning you're kind of reset for a minute and you can think clearly again for a second and then go at it again and keep fighting for yeah. it because, uh, you know, I know some of this stuff can be triggering and I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, to people listening because they're going to have headphones on we're going to be in their head and uh yeah especially maybe. you know i always put a warning on episodes like this because sure it yeah, seems that. uh we don't always go down this route on this show but yeah uh yeah. it happens and uh, yeah. but i lean into that because it's important you know it's important to hear people discuss these things and i appreciate you sharing that because i did not know that um, <clears throat> that it got to yeah. that point, um, which it was none of my business, but sure. I yeah. appreciate you sharing that because it's not easy. Um, 
yeah, I don't, that was, that was the only time that I really, like really scared myself. And it, it didn't scare me because like what happened, it scared me because, you know, after the fact, when I woke up the next morning, what scared me was how, like I said, how ready I was to go. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I was just so ready. And like when I, when I went to the respite center, they, they asked me why I was there. And I said that I didn't feel safe at home. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was no attempt made. And from that moment on, it's, it's been a thought in my mind. Like you said, you're, you know, driving down the road. You're like, it's, I could just, yeah, I could not, hit, I could just not hit the brakes. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, I could jump off the parking garage or what mm -hmm. the fuck ever. And, you know, you go to some really dark places, but man, the, the frequency at which I had this ideation and these awful, terrible thoughts is just so much less than it used to be. It's so much more infrequent. I like, it was every waking moment of the day to now I'm like playing video games and like playing guitar for fun and like just doing things that my body wouldn't let me do because I didn't have the right amount of serotonin. It's mm -hmm. stupid. It was such a, after I made the commitment, it was easy. Mm -hmm. After I made the commitment, the rest was easy. That was the hardest part. And I have not like really thought about killing myself since January 7th, 2020. And that's like, <sighs> fucking crazy, man. It that's is a long time. It's a long time. It's a long time. And that's, you know, it's the longest I've felt happy my entire, in my entire life, mm -hmm. in my entire life. You know, I, I had, you know, it was, it was really bad when I was younger and, you know, in your twenties, like when I was, you know, 21 through, you know, when I met Heather, I would just drink mm -hmm. and like, just kind of do whatever to like overlook it, to just get past it, to not see it, to put, I would just put binders on, you know? Yeah. And I think that just took like, it just kept stacking up and stacking up and stacking up to the point where I was drowning in it and it like became who I was. And that like, man, it's just so good to be, better and i feel like like i said it's the hardest part for me was was making the commitment and actually deciding to see these things through and deciding to stay on my medication for once and deciding to make my appointments for therapy and deciding to not eat like complete shit deciding to not sleep for 16 hours a day like 
all those things had to follow each other, like one after the other. But man, if I, if I didn't, if I didn't change, then I don't, I don't know where I'd be now. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I don't know where I'd be. That realization that you're choosing all these things and deciding to like make the choice to do them. It's also giving you control back of, of your situation. And, uh, do you, did you, you wrote the letter to Heather. Did you keep it? It did. Did you show it to her? Uh, no, she, she didn't know about it until like when I went in January, Mm -hmm. when I went to check myself in, she went with me and you know, you have to see like a counselor when you get there. Um, and she was in the, she was with me and I told the counselor about that. And she, that was Heather's first time hearing about it. Mm. So of course it destroyed her. Yeah. I felt so guilty about making her feel that way, you know, Mm -hmm. and like seeing the look on her face, you know, when I, when I brought it up to the counselor, it was awful, but, um, Sorry, what was your, what, if you, what if you showed it to her, if you let her read oh, it. Oh God, no. Uh, so I knew what notebook it was in because it was like, it was what I was writing lyrics into mm-hmm. the record. And I, record's done. Don't need the notebook anymore. Throw it out. I am like going through a drawer a couple weeks ago in my bedroom and I have a couple notebooks in there and I realized that the one that I had written most of the lyrics in for the record is in there still. So I like, I, it hits me. I know exactly when I see the notebook, I'm like, Oh fuck. Like that note is in here. So I opened it and like the, the, the marker, the page marker, the like thread isn't on the same fucking page still. And I, ripped it out and I Heather was outside and I brought it out to her and I was like, Hey, do you want to read this? And she's like, what the fuck? No, get the, that shit out of here. And I was, she was like, just grabbed a lighter and she just burned it. Wow. Yeah. She fucking rocks dude. Yeah. She's the best. Yeah. He's the best. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, so cool. She just knows, man. She just, yeah. she just knows if she read that, it'd be in her brain. She didn't want mm-hmm. that in her brain. She knew you no. moved past that. God. And she knew that whatever I was saying was just not me. Yeah. It's just not me. I'm a different person when my hormone levels are in are in good standings when they're when they're when they're where they should be. Like yes. Everybody, everybody can be. You know, it's just like that little tiny thing fixes so much Mm -hmm. you know and like everything that i had written in the note i didn't i didn't reread it either i like opened it up saw that it was there and Mm -hmm. closed the book Mm -hmm. but i know for a fact that everything that i wrote in there was bullshit it was not none of it was true 
it was all just from a place of fear and really kind of misguided loneliness. I like, it's easy to feel lonely. And like, even though I'm doing so much better at this point in my life, I still get lonely. Everybody gets lonely. Everybody feels that way. But like, I just think that it, it, I'll take those feelings all day, every day. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's the, that desperation that comes from it that really kind of takes it to the next level. And I, I'm just, she's, she's fucking incredible dude. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if it, if it weren't for her. Dude, I know it. And that's why I say she's a saint. And she knew the guy who wrote that letter was going to leave, was leaving. And that's not who you are. And she knew. No. So of course she said, fucking burn it. Um, man, so many, so many things have happened in the right way, uh, in your, in your life to keep you here and to get you to this point. It's just so incredible to watch that, that journey, you know, and see, see what happens on the other side of things, you know, when you give it time, when you give it, give it, um, effort, you know. I had the reason I asked on the the if she read the letter is I had um Josh from Coheed on and he was big mm-hmm. into heroin mm-hmm. left the band because of it was seeing people on the stick made up that he was seeing people so he wouldn't have to go on tour and he had that lyric in his song in his he was a he did a hip hop project called Weird Science and the one of the mm-hmm. lines is I used to uh, write suicide notes leave them on my nightstand when I went to sleep because I'd rather think they killed myself than fucking OD'd. And I was like, is that a real lyric? Like, did that really? He's like, dude, yes, that's 100% real. And I still have the letters. And I was like, you need to publish those. Like, you need to put those up somewhere. Because I think people seeing that, seeing where he came from and where he is now uh, after his recovery, would be really interesting to see. You know, he he said he's thought about it. Yeah. But he kept them all. But he would literally write a note and then go to sleep, basically, or, or not off, hoping that if he did die, they would think he that he killed himself instead of OT. They did it on purpose. Um, yeah. It, such a weird place to be in. Um, but, yeah, I can't, wow. I can't imagine. I, I know uh, the other reason I asked about the, the, the uh, respite center is because I had a friend that that um, committed suicide a few years ago, and and he lived with his parents. He apparently, what the story was that he uh, tried to hang himself and failed. Went to put himself on a hold. Since he was of age, they didn't have to report that to his family, so he just said he was at a friend's house. He never told them where he was. So when he came back home, he went, and there's video of this on surveillance cameras, went and purchased a ton of that Tannerite stuff uh, that you put in gun targets so it explodes. Um, it's like, this, so if you shoot it with a bullet, like it, it blows up and makes like a cool, like, I don't know the exact purpose of it, but they sure. sell it on just an end cap at a sporting goods store. He bought a shitload of that and then bought a rifle 
and uh they he took it in his car out to uh like a highway 26 out towards mount hood parked the car like set the tannerite up in a in a pile sat on it and took the gun and shot the tannerite and blew himself they i mean to there was nothing left they they left a ten he left a ten foot by two foot deep hole in the ground Holy to shit. where the FBI the National Guard all they thought it was a terrorist attack they showed up for this explosion uh, and my other friend who was roommates with him was at work and the FBI showed up and they said are you so and so yes uh, you need to come with us right now he said who are you uh, FBI show them their badges he's like are you kidding me. Like, we need you to come with us. Do you know so-and-so? Yes, he's my roommate. When's the last time you saw him? A day ago. Uh, You need to go back to your house. We're going to search your apartment. Uh, What's going on? They said there's some sort of, like, terrorist attack going on that he's involved with. And uh, anyway, all this happened. They found out what it was. Yeah. But he, you know, the guy you never expect. He's always happy and, and, uh, you know, making sure everyone else is taken care of. But inside, he's struggling the struggle that's, you know, unreal enough to drive him to do this. Uh, but when he put himself on the hole, he didn't have to report it. And they didn't have to report it. So when mm-hmm. he went home, they had no idea. They thought business yeah. as usual. He was hanging out at so-and-so's house. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of terrifying as well that they don't have to notify. I mean, it's privacy, but also that may have saved his life if they said, hey, or, you know, made a call, a wellness check or something yeah. like, hey we're sending jeff home like uh anyway not to keep going down that rabbit hole but i'm sure it was uh it was really strange really strange yeah. turn of events um so i'm, I'm glad you came out of it as you did and yeah with an incredible incredible record you know yeah. as, as much as it took to come out as much as it took to get it to where it is now you know um so switching gears a little bit sure. <clears throat> give people a, a break here from uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always intense chatting with you and i i really appreciate that yeah sorry really, geez we really went down the rabbit hole well, there it's important it's important it's important and um you know but so you guys did furnace fest mm-hmm. tell me about furnace fest because i did not yeah. go i couldn't drag myself there and not want to see every band but also not want to interview every band and i couldn't decide and i just stayed home sure (laughs) tell me about that because uh it was a trip man i haven't talked to anyone who's played it except for jason gleason i don't think we talked about it very much okay okay yeah it was it was cool man it was cool to see like man such a a wild demographic Mm -hmm. you know a lot of older people that are like 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 my age or older, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now. And you know, that is an old median age for like a punk or a hardcore festival, you know? Mm-hmm. So like it was, it was really cool to see that. And it was like, you know, being at, at, you know, seeing the bled when I was 15 or 16 years old, like it was kind of a scary thing for, for 16 year old me to yeah. see the, to, to go to the bled shows in, in Philly. And I like, 
now I'm a 35 year old man and the, the 25 year olds who were scary to me then are in their forties and they're not killing each other in the pit anymore. So it's just <laughs> like, I get to enjoy this as like a 35 year old adult now. Um, and it was like, it was that way for, for a lot of the sets, obviously the bled was so fucking cool though. Um, I, I mean, honestly, turnstile had just put out that record. So it was cool to see like, uh, to see all the kids vibe so hard to that. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, they have you, have you fucked with that record at all? Oh, dude. So good. Um, and I watched them on yeah. Seth Myers and I was like, this is a win Get for hardcore right out now. of here. Yeah. It's you the know. biggest win maybe in the history of hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Since like fear played hard. SNL and everyone came out and destroyed the SNL set when they played because of John Belushi. <laughs> it's like that moment. Like it was like, Holy this is shit. fucking great. Yeah. Yeah, it was fucking sick. But yeah, they they just put that record out and like had, have you ever seen the venue, the Furnace Fest venue? Like if you look Oh, at, like, I played the there. I played there. Oh, I yeah, played there uh, in 2000 What am I thinking? 2003, I think. Yeah. It it's changed now. Now it's like a monument. Like there's like not yeah. statue, but there's like fountains and shit. Like Yeah. It was not like yeah. that. Like I <laughs> I pooped, I pooped in the toilet that was in a bathroom behind the like stage area. It yeah. was not functioning, and I didn't know that, and I had to just walk away from it. It had probably not been used in 20 years, and but I had nowhere. We slept in the parking lot, and it was haunted and awful, and <laughs> it was a terrible, amazing experience. But uh, that was just one of the experiences there. But it, I've been there. Yes, yeah. I spent two days there. And uh, Man, okay, so it's wonderful. So the that that stage that's like like near the furnaces the the, mm -hmm. the stage that's like under the awning it's like a loading dock area or something like crazy yeah yeah, yeah. Um, Turnstile had put out that record a few weeks prior and they were gonna play at like two o'clock in the afternoon mm -hmm. and that day all the sets were moved around. They were playing on that stage at night and like that record was doing so well. And like just 10,000 kids fucking stoked to hear this band play these songs live for the first time. Yeah. And like, for me, that was like, that was the last band that I got to see at the weekend. You know, it was, it was a really busy weekend for us in general, but that was the last band that I got to see at the weekend. And it just like really kind of, like set it off for me in, in the, in the best way possible, because like, you know, on the sides of the stage, there's like scaffolding. Mm -hmm. Was that like, was that a, a thing yes. you were playing? Mm -hmm. The scaffolding was like full for, uh, whoever played right before, uh, I forget who, Oh, I think knock loose played right before him, uh, but they kicked everybody off. And then like, I, I, I couldn't watch the whole, turnstile set because we were playing a show later that night mm -hmm. so i like everyone no one was on the scaffolding and i like climbed up and there is this tiny little area of scaffolding maybe like three feet by four feet mm -hmm. and i climbed up on top and there's a single folding chair up there <laughs> <laughs> a single folding chair and I, I like i unfolded the chair and sat down and like kicked my feet up on the brick wall and i had it like a like a like a half of a joint in my pocket and i was just like this is perfect this, this is, is life like, and that was really like the first those were the first shows back from not playing mm -hmm. so it was just like 
man, just, and, and being in a different place mentally and being in a different place financially. I was just so like, it's just so stoked to be there. That whole weekend was excellent, man. Dude, that's fucking awesome. When we played yeah. that, that stage, it was the loading dock area of the stage. And then behind it, it was just a dirt pile that went up underneath the, it was literally just a dirt pile with some garbage and some old equipment. It was it. And so like where they had that, uh, who's the weird, there's a weird named sponsor of that stage or something. They had a big plug your holes, plug your holes. Yeah. It was like a big banner that that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like now that stage, I watched minus the bear play for the first time. I watched Norma Jean play for the first time. I watched hum reunite and play. Holy uh, shit. Who else? Uh, hopes fall. I saw life once lost for the first time. That was like their third festival appearance where I saw Robert jumping off the, the monitors with bare feet and just destroying life. Um, oh, my God. Insane. That that experience was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the, the last festival we played before we drove straight to Alaska six and a half days straight. Um, Holy shit. But we waited, and, and I watched Jason Gleason with Further Seems Forever uh, do cover Pagan Poetry by Bjork and nail it. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> It was just an incredible experience, and I'm so glad you guys got to do that. How how did your set go? Oh, dude, it was awesome. We played it like at like not not at Doors. We played it like I think Doors were at eleven. We played it like like twelve oh five or something like that. Uh, but you know, it's a big room. You know the the again the same stage that we were talking about. It's mm-hmm. a big room, and like you know, we're, we're not, we're not a big band. We know that. And we're, you know, playing in Alabama, we're nowhere near, near home. And there's no one in this room and the time comes to play. And we had a bunch of friends drive from like Texas who were there for the festival, but who wanted to see us as well. And like, so they were all there and we were like, fuck yeah, this is so cool. And then like, 30 seconds into our set that room was full and we were just like whole like it just was so much more than we ever could have wanted yeah in in all seriousness it was it was fucking fantastic and it was like you know 20 minutes and we had to like rapid fire you know to Mm -hmm. to play the songs we wanted to play but we released the record the day before uh we played so it was just like we were itching to play those songs. We were itching to just play in general and especially to come back in that fashion was fucking awesome, man. Dude, that's incredible. Did, did anyone film it? Uh, yeah, there's some, there's some stuff out there on the YouTubes. Is there um, from furnace fest? Yeah, man. I need to I look again. So. Yeah, I, I thought so. I looked like right after it happened, I guess as I was waiting for videos to pop up. Because you guys yeah. are always good about that. People are always filming your shows, and I love watching you guys live. And I only got to see you the one time when you came to Portland. So I was like, man, yeah, Furnace yeah. Fest, I got to see it. I'll look it up after this because I want to see that. Because yeah. uh, I've not seen uh, the new songs live. Um, and I've just been picking them apart in my brain. And, and uh, <laughs> just like there's so many so many pieces of the puzzle. Um, yeah. One thing, I'm going to ask you this because I can't find – uh, mm-hmm. the, the lyrics in rah, rah, when mm-hmm. you say I'm jumping in first to, to, uh, uh, to what I can't define, I'm, I, what's the next line breaking, 
breaking off pieces from a tangent line. From a tangent line. Mm-hmm. Okay. I could not, for the life of me, figure out what that word was. And uh, I was I was racking my brain, listening to it over and over again because uh, the way you say it is very is really cool. Like it, um, but it sounded like tangeline. And I was like, what's tangeline? That's not, it's not tangeline. And I didn't hear the enunciation of the T. Yeah. That makes sense now. My, my enunciation has always been like, so, like, it's like there's a rubber band around my tongue. Yes. Mouthful but it's of good. peanut butter. It's good. Like, yeah, mouthful of peanut butter. That's what you should do uh, before the next show. It's just anytime you're having anxiety before a show, just put a big old glob of peanut butter in your mouth and give you something else to focus on. <laughs> honestly if the rest of the band heard you say that they'd be like yeah it kind of checks out yeah <laughs> when i when i first moved to texas and i got diagnosed with diabetes i like i was such a sugar like glutton i was like i craved sugar constantly and like loved peanut butter and it was like one of the lowest sugar things that i could eat mm-hmm. so i would just eat a shit ton of it <laughs> <laughs> still like scratch that itch and dude i would like i would like come back i'd come home from heb with groceries on a monday and the jar of peanut butter would be gone by tuesday dude it was disgusting just put a little bit <laughs> don't take that don't test me, dude. take that screen off your sm58 and smear a little peanut butter <laughs> under it and screw it back on until <laughs> you just get the smells just Gross. loving that just like oh god i fucking love this song god. uh Anything is better than the smell of like a, a heavily used microphone. That is <laughs> iron and things like it smells like blood. Make the night make the yes, it does smell like blood. It's disgusting. Mm. Uh, make the nominee peanut butter at the merch table, uh, dude. God, that thing go off. <laughs> they go off. <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you guys are. And I know things are still weird right now with shows and shit like that but mm-hmm. the fact that you're in a good spot financially stable medical insurance you can play when you want it's kind of the dream you know yeah yeah and it's like the only way it could be a dream is if we could do it more you know like yeah. that's the only way it could be a better that's the only way it could be a better version of this dream and like that's that's in the cards for us where we want to tour yeah we want to play shows we want to get out there and like uh it it just for for me to risk all these things that i've finally gotten control it's it has to be the right time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it just has to be the right time and opportunity and like that's not to say that we won't play shows as much as we possibly can you know we'll play regionally as much as we can we've got like we've got other festivals coming up this year that we're that we haven't announced yet that we're super excited about and like we're already writing new music like and it'll probably be out fairly you know sooner rather than later because i don't think you know with the way music is going and with the way artists aren't like dropping albums the way they used to Mm -hmm. uh you know i I, a shit ton of labels are signing bands for you know amounts of songs instead of uh records now and it's like i guess we'll just start releasing songs yeah but but yeah yeah which is you know i still want to release a record because i'm like old school in that mentality i'm always going to want a record Mm -hmm. like i to me it's it's the it's the the tangible 
record holding the record in my hand and it being a collection of songs that were meant to go together that gives me way more satisfaction than a single from a band Mm -hmm. that is most likely only going to be available digitally from a band our size you know yeah absolutely i'm in the same boat i got i'm an album guy like i'll bounce Mm -hmm. around song to song sometimes but i just like to put on an album and just experience what the band wanted me to experience yeah you know yeah um, completely agree and there's so you know so many records that are that are meant to be heard like that and it like it breaks my heart to think like if if these bands you know if coheed came out now would we really not have the records that we had by them mm-hmm. you know would we really not have like these fucking stories that are incredible would it just be like would we just get little pieces of the story here and there? Like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, 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 it is definitely a singles game now, but like, I can't, it can't, that can't sustain. Can it? No. You know? Well, it can, I guess it can, it's going to do what it's going to do. Like the world's going to evolve into it. Uh, It's just, it's whether or not we're happy with the outcome as music fans of a certain age, watching what our kids are into and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. my daughter literally thought she watched so many youtube videos that when she learned like thumbs up like i came home from work and my wife's like hey uh check this out hey cora uh uh what'd you say what does what does uh thumbs up mean she's like good like great what's what's this mean and it, sorry uh, there we go what's this mean thumbs down uh <laughs> and she said comments down below oh and we looked at each other like fuck like are you serious like youtube is now her life like uh, to where she thought that's what it meant yeah she also to her credit uh when we asked her what she wanted to be when she was older when she grew up it was a telescope okay all right <laughs> now she wants to be a singer she wants to be a singer she's okay. eight now she wants to be a singer and she's writing uh, songs she's eight and now yeah i take her to the playground and she's writing songs she has me play like play with grayson uh away from her so she can work on her lyrics while she's because she want me to hear her working on them she's got a little oh, ukulele she takes up to her room and jams on and i i was telling uh oh, who was i talking to uh chris dashboard professional chris caraba uh, I had him on a few days ago and, and um, I was telling him about this because like I don't put guitar in front of my kids at all. Mm-hmm. I want them to kind of discover it if they're into it on their own. I didn't want to force anything on them that way. And she did exactly that. Found it. Wanted wow. a ukulele. Now she wants to write songs. I never put any wow. of that on her. I rarely play music around them. I just yeah. wanted them to discover wow. it like I did. And it's working. So nice. hopefully she it's keeps going. Rocks. But uh, Yeah. I love that, dude. Are you gonna? That, dude. Are you guys gonna have kids? No, 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 no way, dude. No, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no way at all. Fuck uh-huh. no, no, like, okay. like, 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 I'll always want to be like, you know, we talk about it, but then I like, I start as soon as I start thinking about like our reasons for not having kids. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, definitely not. Yes, yeah. got like, it. Number one, I don't want to bring a kid up in this world right now. Mm-hmm. It's scary. It's terrifying, number, dude. No, number two, 
my life was like tough with my mental health and with the diabetes, it also sucks. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pass either of those things on. If we want to have a kid, we will absolutely adopt. Mm -hmm. Um, just because the world doesn't need more people right now. The world doesn't need more people. And I know that's going to absolutely fuck the economy in 30 years from now, but <laughs> it, the, the world doesn't need more people. It doesn't need another kid with diabetes and, and depression, you know, yeah. it, like I would just, and not to mention we're selfish. We're selfish. We love, we love our time. We love being able to do what we want to do. We love the fact that, if God forbid one of us loses our job, there's no one that is in danger. You That's know, a great like point. I do my, my anxiety. I can't, I couldn't handle something like that. I couldn't handle that feeling. So I'm just like, it, I, I used to say all the time, like when we're ready, if we're ready. And like, at this point I'm 35 and I'm definitely not ready. Yeah. And I, there's a lot of reasons not to, and I, there's not a whole lot of reasons to have kids mm -hmm. and Heather's the way Heather puts it. She always says, if it's not a hell, yes, it's a hell no. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah, dude. It, That's like, great. It, it makes so much sense. And it's just like, it's exactly the way I feel. So right now it's a hell no, man. <sighs> Moving to Texas was the best thing you ever did. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> you yeah. found you found your life, man. You got your life yeah. back. Yeah. I made yeah. some cool shit along the way. Got a, just so many great friends here and just the quality of person is just a lot better here. Yeah. It's just a lot better here than it was um back up there. Um especially in, in Philadelphia itself. I like, <laughs> I still have friends that I love and cherish from up there, but like, man, it is just way easier to make friends here. People are just so much nicer. Yeah. People are so much nicer. And, you know, like every job, I mean, obviously it was, you know, I've, I've lived down here for almost 10 years. So it was kind of a different time when I was there, but like, all my employers treated me like shit. Like it was just nothing. No one was ever nice up there. And like here, everyone's just so understanding and it's just so much more relaxed. And like, I, the best decision I ever made without a doubt, like, like nothing, nothing even comes close to my decision to move here, but it's like, there was so much more to it than I thought when I got here. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't realize that I would meet Heather and I didn't realize that in meeting Heather, she lives, she lived with uh, her best friend, Shelby, who is like my sister. She, mm -hmm. I like her and I are unbelievably close and we still live together. Like we have roommates, Heather and I live with another couple mm -hmm. and like it's introduced me to a way of life that I thought I would be judged for until the day I died. It has made me feel comfortable with like being married, but not owning a house and not jumping to have kids and not like having a career. I always thought that you needed those things to be married. And it's just like, this is between me and this woman who's fucking incredible. It has nothing to do with anything else. 
and she felt the same way. And like, I never would have proposed to somebody in the Northeast with the mentality that I had before yeah. I moved here. You found so yourself. it like, yeah, man. Yeah, I really did. I really did. I or at least I think I did. Who knows how, where I'll be in, in 10 years, you know, hopefully right here, man. Yeah. I hope so. Like, do you yeah. run, do you run into Joe Rogan yet? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> did you really? Uh, uh, so I worked at the venue where Chappelle and Rogan had their residency. Oh, okay. At Stubbs. Um, so the brief, brief, brief interaction that I had with him was like, just like you thought it'd be. Yeah. Just like you thought it'd be like, I guess he was looking for a production assistant and asked somebody to get him water. I was like, that's not my job, dude. <laughs> sure. You could understand. Oh, now he's got everyone moving over there. Oh my Segura's God. over there. I think Kreischer's <laughs> coming over there. Everyone's just yep. invading Austin and getting out of LA. Yeah, man. It's no joke. It's no, everybody lives here now, man. That's we funny. got, we got, uh, what's his face? Elon Musk owned more property, uh, like more square mileage of land, more acreage of land uh -huh. than the entirety of downtown Austin. Good Lord. Yeah. It is a very weird place to be right now. Hmm. We have to get the fuck out. We're like, dude, there's an Apple campus being built 600 yards in that direction. Oh no that is going to uh it's gonna it's gonna a hundred and fifty thousand people are gonna move here <laughs> wow maybe they'll come from here because it's getting crowded it's up here huge, too. <laughs> dude it's huge this place is massive and like we live across the street from it yeah so luckily our landlord is like we are very very quiet tenants mm -hmm. And I think he, and the house is kind of old and like, uh, it's, you know, there's maintenance that needs to happen. There's serious maintenance that needs to go into it, but he knows that we're fine with it. And that we, there's just very minor things that we care about. So he's keeping the rent where it needs to be mm -hmm. for right now. But like it, when that campus opens up, it's, it's the jig is up for a lot of, of me and my friends. Yeah, dude that sucks when microsoft moved into redmond washington where my grandparents lived when they were still around like there was one house that they it wasn't eminent domain it was like a um they went to buy up all the property to make the mm -hmm. campus yeah and they were offering ridiculous money like you can't say no to this price but there's one old couple like we've lived in this house our whole relationship we're not moving so they said all right here's the deal they didn't have any like they didn't have any next to kin or anything it was gone after they were dead so microsoft said uh let's make you a deal then uh when you pass um we'll take the property but until then we can we let our landscapers maintain the property and, and make it look nice and everything else they agreed to this so they had this amazing manicured lawn and like landscaping in front of this like kind of dilapidated house on the side of the road. And their their maintenance people took care of it until they passed. And when they passed, it was gone. And and part of the the it they tore the house down and made it more land like more landscaping. 
Wow. They didn't even build anything there. They just made Damn. it more of like a park setting for the campus. They just tore the house down. Wow. <laughs> so wow. there you go. They wanted to buy it up so they could put a fountain or whatever. You know, like yeah, it's crazy. Put some grass down. It's terrifying, Jesus. dude. We're all screwed. Yeah, We're all going to be at a, uh, God, right when they figure out everyone can work from home, they're going to move everyone out there and, and have yep. them sit in an office. But dude, Idiots. at this point, we have SpaceX. Yep. We have Google. Mm -hmm. We have Oracle. We have Apple now. It is. It, it's it's booming, dude. It's the biggest housing bubble in the country. Yeah. Construction it's, game strong down there. <laughs> and, and, uh, strong and 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 weak at the same time dude. yeah biting off way more than they can chew there's construction everywhere in the city at all times yeah, yeah. see i'm building a 30-story uh tower right now that's the ritz carlton in downtown portland and it's a project oh, shit. and uh yeah so i'm stoked to have work but also i'm like yeah all right how many more of these are we going to build because no one's yeah. moving into these things like what seven hundred dollars yeah. a night for this hotel yeah. like it's gonna be nuts people can't afford that and mm -hmm. uh it's terrifying man it's terrifying to wonder what's gonna happen but in my industry i'm glad there's construction work because if you don't work you don't get paid in my business so uh sure there's no yeah. paid vacations or days off so mm -hmm. do you have somewhere to go you sit at home unpaid until there is so uh, yeah it's terrifying that way too but um, yeah absolutely it is what it is but uh dude man this has been this has been killer i i really uh i've been looking forward to this uh for a long time i wanted to wait till it felt like right because i wanted to talk about the stuff with dad and stuff i just didn't feel right about it till yeah. recently and um yeah well i'm glad i'm glad you're feeling feeling a little bit better about it man dude yeah and uh making some progress i'm gonna check on you in the morning make sure uh yeah. you're doing good because uh we talked about a lot of uh awful things I don't want that to, to yeah, derail anything. Yeah, to, to take such a turn towards negative town there, no. man. I mean, just, you know. It's real town. I assume that we're going to talk about it, you know. It's, it's real town, and it need to happen, but uh, I just want to make sure you're you're doing well. Um, I check in anyway, but yeah, I'm going to text you in the yeah, morning. You're uh, the best. You know, like I do. <laughs> yeah. But, you're dude, I appreciate you so much, and uh, I, that's just what you do and as a person, and, and tell Heather the same. And tell her thank yeah. you for me for keeping you going. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. She said hi, by the way. Awesome. She's a wonderful person. <laughs> and uh, you're just a lucky man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know you, dude. And uh, I really I appreciate I'm, uh, the time. I, I'm I'm beyond lucky. And I'm, I'm lucky to see that now. So yeah. I uh, awesome. had a great time talking to you, dude. Awesome. Always. Dude. Anytime. You're welcome back. As you know, we'll do a part three, part five, whatever uh i'm just glad you're i'm glad you're well man it makes my made my day and uh thanks dude to hear all that so hang in there and uh yeah, th thanks for giving a shit dude yeah dude of course get 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 a good job at apple okay <laughs> oh god fuck off. <laughs> all right brother get some sleep okay all right, all right. Good all right. See, you, man. see ya all right guys i hope you enjoyed that episode with chris mcclelland from nominee part two uh, go check out the record Low Life. It is on Spotify, everywhere you get your your music. Uh, it's on Smart Punk Records. Like I said, this album is phenomenal, and I stand by it 100%. Um, you know, I think I'm going to play a song or two at the end of this. So you guys, if you're already listening, just stick around to the end. 
uh, and we're going to play Ra Ra and we're going to play Kitchen Sink. Those two songs are amazing. And uh, I just hope you guys are well out there. I hope you guys are staying safe. Uh, I hope this didn't bum you out too much. I hope maybe it helps some people to realize that other people feel the same way. Um, I mean, that's the most I can ask from this show is to connect with somebody else uh, in a way that's special, you know, in a way that you can come and come like bring the sounds into their ears and and comfort them or resonate with them. That's the power of human connection. And we're putting it out audio wise, uh, but it's just as real. So uh, I appreciate you guys coming back week after week. I really do. We've got a lot of amazing things coming up for you. Um, I just want you guys to spread the word of the show. Tell a friend, uh, you know, review us on on Spotify, iTunes, any of that stuff helps out. Um, but if you know someone that needs to hear this conversation, send it to them. You know, it's the best thing you can do. And I really, really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. So as always, guys, I'll see you on the radio.
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.